Beloved congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ, 40 days after Christ was raised from the dead, which we understand and we declare and confess as the resurrection uh, from the dead, that He rose from the dead, He ascended into heaven. Uh, We read of this in Acts chapter 1, that He ascended into heaven, and He went in bodily form with His disciples watching Him go up into heaven in bodily form. So we think about that for a moment with regards to where Christ is right now. He is somewhere in this universe. There is somewhere, a fold in space, something, uh, some place, but He is there in physical form. And we have the assurance also that there is going to be a second literal coming of the Lord Jesus Christ to consummate all things. As the disciples were told by the angels, this Jesus who ascended into heaven will so return in like manner. That means He's going to come in bodily form again and He is coming to consummate His kingdom, to cast out everything in His kingdom that offends. To bring the new heavens and the new earth down upon this earth which will have been cleansed and prepared for the coming kingdom, the new kingdom for which Christ has purchased, has prepared for His people. So the Apostle Paul, as he does with all of his epistles, brings the mind of the Colossians back to the teaching of God's Word and the supremacy and the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ as the risen Lord. You know, Daniel makes mention of Christ's ascension, and he makes mention of it as as Him going up to the Ancient of Days. This is Christ ascending going up to the Ancient of Days, which is His coronation. It's where He comes and He sits upon the throne and all power and all authority is given unto Him in heaven and on earth. He is the reigning King. He is the sovereign Lord, the sovereign potentate who rules over all things. Paul said He is making His enemies the footstool of His feet. He is doing the work. He is redeeming His people. Beloved, as you know, with regards to salvation and sanctification, the wheels of God tend to grind slow. But they're methodical. They are consistent. He continues His work. He continues to redeem. He continues to call people into the body of Jesus Christ. He continues to redeem, to regenerate, to raise up from the dead, to create faith in the heart. He continues doing that work. We as the people of God are involved in that, as Paul says, we are co-workers with God uh, in Jesus Christ. So we are taking the gospel to the nations, from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the world. We bring the gospel to the nations. We call all men everywhere to repent. You know, God doesn't ask people to repent. It's not an invitation. You understand that? He doesn't invite you to repent if you so desire God commands all men everywhere to repent. It's not an option. To to not repent and turn from your sins is rebellion against the cosmic king, the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul brings the minds of the Colossians back to that fact, to that truth. You see, the Colossians were having a difficulty in the early church... Uh, many of the people in the different areas in Ephesus and Philippi and Colossae and the Galatian churches, there were problems in the founding of the churches. There were difficulties that went on in the life of the church. 
So Paul is often correcting the errors that took place in the church. As a matter of fact, you think about the epistle to the Corinthians. Uh, those epistles that we have, the first and second Corinthians, and there were a couple of others that we don't have. Uh, they would be called the lost epistles, but clearly they were not inspired. Not everything the apostle Paul wrote was inspired. You recognize that. Paul was not inspired. The, what is inspired is the word of God. All scripture is God-breathed. And so you find in First and Second Corinthians, it's a corrective letter. He's constantly correcting the Corinthians in their understanding. And that's why we as the people of God continually need our minds renewed by the Word of God. Why? Because we can hold on to superstitions. We can hold on to things that are contrary to the things of Christ and not even realize that we're doing it. That was going on in Colossae at this time. <clears throat> The Colossae was uh, the church, you know, in the first century, uh, was a church that was uh, founded in an area, the Lysus Valley, which modern-day Turkey. There were many earthquakes in that area. So the people, because of the pagan religions of which they were redeemed out of, held on to some of the superstitious things. And so what they thought is by appeasing the, the spirit which, which was in the elements, then they could placate in such a way to be done with and protect themselves from the earthquakes. Superstition. Pagan philosophy. Pagan religious idolatry. But nevertheless, that's what they were involved in and people are still involved in it today. There are superstitions that you hold to. And you may not think of it. You may not even realize it until at a particular time the Holy Spirit illumines your mind to the truth. You know, the, the, the work of the Holy Spirit is an incremental work. He doesn't at one moment give us all of the particular truth. Uh, it's over time. It's over a process of time. Uh, last night in the catechism class, we were, we were going through a book dealing with depression. And one of the things that it refers to is, is Scripture uh, being that which floods the heart and enables the mind to think correctly and going to particular texts in God's Word. And I, I want to you know, disabuse the, the kids of this notion that it's a magic bullet. Because oftentimes we think that that's what it is. That, and the uh, statistic came up that there were, on one Bible app, there were more uh, views and downloads of a particular text in the book of Isaiah than any other book in the Bible, any other chapter, any other verse in Scripture. And it had to deal with God's peace. That God will give them perfect peace. That God will give them protection and contentment and, and care. And God will provide for His people. People are looking for the comfort. So they run to that particular text. And we think, right? We think that when we read that text, I instantly have the peace and I have no more problems in my life. It's, it's not a silver bullet. The Holy Spirit works and he works through his word. And he works through time as well. In the process of time, he grows us up into the image of Christ. 
You know, a child doesn't come out of the womb and six months later he's, you know, nine foot tall. It doesn't have, it takes time and growth and much pain and heartache and there's joy and all the other things involved. But it takes time. And so it is with the people of God. We grow and we mature by the working of the Spirit through the Word over a process of time. So as the Word of God begins flooding your heart, it equips you, it enables you, it's a shield to defend you when the difficult days come. It's not going to take away all the pain and suffering and sorrow in this life, but it certainly is going to give you an ability to have pleasure and joy even through the midst of the trials. And so, superstition, superstition that people hold on to even today. I saw it the other day watching a baseball game, and as the pitcher ran off, he he made certain that he jumped over the chalk line. Why? Because it's, it's, it's bad luck, they say. And if you're talking about luck, uh, you're holding to a superstition. If you're talking about coincidence, you're holding to a superstition. If you're talking about things just happening out of the blue, and it was just a whim, you're holding to superstitious, superstitious notions. Because the Bible knows nothing of those things. There is nothing left to chance in this world. God is the one who ordains all things from beginning to the end and the process all the way through of secondary causes. God not only the end ordains the end as the beginning, but He ordains all the means to the end as well. The means to which we grow in grace is the Word and the Holy Spirit working in us. And this is the benefit that we have because of the ascension of Christ. You remember what Jesus said to His disciples uh, when uh, He was about to ascend into heaven. He said, wait for the promise of the Father, uh, which uh, has been promised to you. The coming of the Holy Spirit in a fullness. What was not seen in the administration under the Old Covenant. As it will be under the New Covenant. That the Holy Spirit would not just be working upon people, but He will dwell within you. And then this is what Jesus had promised. And so we find this in the Old Testament, moving through the work of the Holy Spirit into the New Testament, and now the fullness of the Spirit has come to His people. The benefit. There is no way, there's no possible way that you could seek those things which are above apart from the ministry of the Holy Spirit. I was telling, uh, talking to Maria uh, I don't know, yesterday or the day before about the work of the Spirit in the heart. And I just simply said, if the Spirit of God, which it's, it's a heretical hypothetical, you understand this, because it's an impossibility that the Holy Spirit has been promised He will not withdraw His presence. But if He did, I would return right back to the mud from which I was washed. If He did... I would return to the vomit to lick it up just like a dog. Because the Holy Spirit is the one who strengthens, who keeps, who energizes, who motivates. He works in the believer. And I have a responsibility to work as well. But I know, as the teaching of the Scripture, that I'm only working out what the Holy Spirit is working in. As the Holy Spirit is working within me through the means of grace that I'm working these things out. And this is the blessing that we have 
because of the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. I will send the Spirit as another helper, another counselor, another comforter, and He will dwell within you. Okay, and so Paul then begins in our text, if then you were raised with Christ. Now, just stop for that moment. If you were raised, it's a conditional clause. If. So this is the question, beloved. Have you been raised with Christ? Now, when Paul speaks about raised with Christ, uh, the Greek term that he uses means aroused or, or vivified. So it has a parallel to the spiritual renewal um, that Paul speaks about in regeneration. Have you been raised up spiritually with Christ? Are you born again? Are you a new creation in Christ Jesus? Because if you're not, then it will be demonstrated in how you live your life. You may be a member of the church. You may partake of the rites of the church. You may be one who takes the Lord's Supper. You may be one who has professed faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and not be born of the Spirit of God because the other six days, oh, this Sunday comes, you put on your religiosity and your mask and your uniform and you come in and you go through the motions, but then when you leave the rest of Sunday, Monday through Saturday, you live like the pagan that you truly are. There are many people that are deceived. They're not trusting in Christ. They're trusting in something other than Jesus. They're trusting that they're a good person. They're trusting they're members of a church. That I have been baptized, catechized. I confess faith. I take the Lord's Supper. I give a little bit in the offering plate. Have you been raised up with Christ? How do you know if you've been raised up with Christ? Well, this is what Paul says. Seek those things which are above. Notice the word seek there. In the Greek text, here it is, it's a present tense, it's an active voice, and with regards to the, uh, the extent of it, it's a continually, uh, an action that's continually to happen in your life. It's in the imperative mood. So, being that which is an imperative, it's a command. God commands you to seek those things which are above. Right? That's the command. You, you once sought the things of the earth. That's all you sought were the things of the earth. You were like the Gentiles that Jesus speaks about in Matthew 6. What am I going to eat? What am I going to drink? What am I going to wear? What house am I going to live in? What car am I going to drive? How am I going to build my fortune and castle upon this earth? You died to that. Because you know that all of this is coming to nothing. Herein is the tension, isn't it? The tension of living in this world and needing particular things to be able to live, but not abusing the things that have been given to you. Using them, enjoying them richly, as God has given them to us, without abusing them. This takes the ministry of the Holy Spirit to constantly reorient and recalibrate our minds back to the truth that these things are all temporal. When Jesus says, you know, the earthly goods, what happens to them? Moths ruin them. I had a jacket one time, leather jacket, had a nice liner on the inside, hadn't worn it for quite a while, put it in the closet, went in, had holes in the, in the liner in the inside. I don't know what that was all about, but some kind of moth or something got in, was eating my clothing. I mean, that text came right to mind in reality. Wow, the bugs are eating my clothes. 
And, and some of you have had the same thing. Well, and you're going to tell me afterward, get those mothballs and put in there. No, I just get rid of it because I don't wear it enough, right? So how about the things that you, you, you save and you, you buy these particular things and then you're afraid that somebody's going to steal them? Because thieves break in and steal. How long can you have a car? Well, it depends really uh, what area of the country that you're from. You go out to California, you'll see all kinds of older vehicles uh, that look in pretty good shape uh, for you know, the age of the vehicle. But when you come to the Midwest or the East Coast, what do you find? Not so good. I saw a Nova today. I told Maria, I said, look at this. Is, I remember this when I was in high school. And the guy used to drive cars. It was probably a 72 Nova. And it, it came up to the gas station. It was a rust bucket when I seen it. And again, that's what happens, right? It, it rusts out in this world. So the seeking of the believer is to the things of Christ. We're seeking the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're seeking His holiness. We're seeking His honor. We're seeking the fruit of the Spirit. We're seeking the dominion of Christ. We're seeking to bring all things captive to the obedience of Christ, beginning in our, each of our own hearts. That's what we're seeking. And as I said, it's, it's an imperative mood. It's a command that God gives to us. And the active voice means that you're doing it. You are doing it. And how do you do that? Well, if you're seeking primarily the things of the earth, then you're not seeking the things of the Lord. If you're seeking to build your own kingdom, then you're not seeking the building of the kingdom of Christ. How do you view your finances? Do you view them as a gift from the Lord? Yes, you labor, and the Lord provides for you through this, but how do you view them? Do you view them as saving and just stockpiling so you can have more and more and more and build a legacy and a name for yourself? Is that what you want? People will remember you when you're gone? There's a man in Sioux Falls who uh, built a hospital and uh, the, the man, it used to be Sioux Valley was the name of the hospital, but he said when he took it over, uh, when he made a deal with the hospital, that it had to be named after him. Well, it's his legacy, right? It's about him. Well, he not only left a name after himself, Sanford Hospital, but he also put a big statue of himself out in the front. Right? Because I mean, it's, it's about me, right? You've got to know who I am and what I have done. And that's the pagans of this world. Um, Jesus said, when we give, you don't blow a trumpet. That's what the pagans do. Look what I have given. Look what I have done. No, you give so you don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. You give in secret, as it were. Nobody needs to know. The glory belongs to the Lord. He's put it in your heart. But if you're seeking to build for you and your legacy, and it's all about you, you're not seeking the kingdom of Christ. You're not seeking the glory of Christ. So he says, seek those things which are above where Christ sits at the right hand of God and not the things of the earth. And it's a continual seeking, present tense. Continually seeking the things of Christ. You can't do that, beloved. I cannot do that apart from the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And that is a gift that the Lord has purchased for us. 
The ministry of the Holy Spirit within, causing us to keep on continually seeking after the things of Christ. And it's not going to be every single moment of every single day. Though we would love it to be that way, uh, there is still rebellion within our hearts. The, the sin ruling has been broken. We are no longer under the dominion of Satan and sin. We are now servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our wills have been liberated. We have been enabled by the working of the Spirit to do those things that are pleasing to God. But we don't do them perfectly. We don't do them consistently. We fall short. And so what do we do? We confess. We cry out to the Lord. And we keep our eyes stayed upon Jesus. And we don't say, I'll do better next time. Because you won't. And then you just guilt yourself more and more. And you bring yourself into depression spiritually. Because you are not achieving what you think you ought to achieve. Which, in this life, it's not going to happen. The Holy Spirit continues to work. And He does so in conjunction with our being in the means of grace. So, let me ask you. Are you seeking the things of God? Are you seeking the things which are above? You know, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where's your treasure? Is your treasure in the things of this world? Or is your treasure Christ? Is your reward Christ? Is your joy and your crown and your rejoicing the Lord Jesus Christ? There is a marked difference, isn't there, about the people of the world and the people of the Word. Because if you are one who is seeking the kingdom of God, you are seeking the things that are above, you're a person of the book. You're one who not only is a reader, but you're a meditator and a doer of the things of God. If you just hear and don't do, you're deceiving yourself. You're self-deceived. James speaks about that. You're beside yourself. You've miscalculated. You think that this is the way, but if you're not doing what God calls you to, uh, then you're self-deceived. And how many people do you think are like that in our day and age in Christendom? Who come and who hear and don't put it into practice. So, Paul goes on and he says, Seek the things which are above, and it's where Christ is. Christ is our joy. He is our treasure. And He is sitting at the right hand of God. Christ is sitting. Significant. Why is that? Because when Christ did His work as high priest, the priests of His day in the Old Covenant never sat down. Why? The work was never finished. The significance of sitting is that Christ has completed His work. And you remember His cry from the cross, Testalistai, it is finished. It is done. All that the Father has given to me to do on behalf of those given unto me has been completed. And so, uh, this is then He sits down. He is the one who sits as the completed work at the right hand of God. Christ has all authority. That's what it refers to. The right hand. The hand of power. The hand of authority. The Father doesn't have a right hand. You understand that. God is spirit. He doesn't have a body. But what's given here in the the metaphor is that it is the hand of power and rule. And Christ has been given all rule and all authority. 
And to dishonor Christ and to spurn Christ and to rebel against Christ is to rebel against the Father who set up His Son as the cosmic king ruling over all things. And that's what the ascension says. Essentially, the ascension is Christ is king ruling over all things for the glory of His Father and for the good of His church. Boy, that's a, that's a comfort. That's a comfort for the church. Oftentimes, as believers, when we go through times of crisis, we forget about the fact that our king sits on the throne. We forget about the truth that he is ruling over all things. We forget about the fact that nothing can befall us by chance, but all things come by his fatherly hand. And I'm not saying it's easy to deal with these things. There are many difficult things in life. You have been through them, I have been through them. And they are hard. And it's real. The the ache and the pain and the suffering in this world is real. But it doesn't happen by chance. It comes by the sovereign hand of our God. Christ has merited the blessing even in the worst uh, thing to befall us in this world. Whatever God brings upon us in this veil of tears. And He ordains them, beloved. It doesn't happen by chance. And God just doesn't let it happen. You've often heard that. Uh, He permits it to happen. God ordains everything. God ordains all things that come to pass. And so even the evil, notice the catechism says, that He sends upon us in this veil of tears. God sends evil upon us. Sometimes the moral evil of men. Sometimes it's the natural evil of earthquakes and all the disasters and things that happen in this world. But God sends them. He sends them for the purpose of sanctifying His people, making us more and more like Christ. And is it painful? Yeah, it's painful. Is it difficult? Yeah. But it's the Holy Spirit who comforts our minds. It's the Holy Spirit who brings peace to the mind. Paul speaks about that peace in Philippians 4. Uh, It's a peace that surpasses all understanding, that guards our hearts and our minds when we come to the Lord in prayer. That's not a one-time event. That's the life of the Christian. Coming to God, submitting to His will, praying with an intelligent, informed, biblical understanding in the mind as we come to Him, asking all things that are in accordance with His Word, knowing then that He hears us and God provides for us. He gives us that comfort. Paul then goes on and he says, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Again, notice, set your minds. Phreneo, the the Greek term there, is your, your mind all about the things that are in heaven, not the things that are on the earth. Again, tension, isn't it? Tension. I have earthly things I have to care for. Yeah, but is that my preoccupation? Is that all my life is about? Is that all that my thoughts are caught up in is the earthly mundane things? I've told you before, uh, we have what's our fellowship meal. I don't know. There are churches that call it the potluck meal. I don't get that. But we have a fellowship meal. And I've told you this. I've explained what that means. That it's a time that we can sit down, gather around the table together, and eat and converse with one another, which oftentimes we don't have the ability or the time to be able to do. But now we do on particular Lord's Days. 
And many don't even take advantage of that. But when you do, do you take advantage of the fellowship? And we tend to think, because we're Christians and we're together, that we're fellowshipping. No, fellowship is communion. It is koinonia. It is something that is involved with the person of Christ. You could be two Christians out fishing, talking about the fish, the weather, and all the other things. And that's not fellowship. It may be fun. It may be a time of, of you don't have loneliness, companionship, but it's not fellowship. Fellowship has a focus of Christ. And if you're not focused on Christ, you're not speaking about the things of Christ. You're not fellowshipping. You may be having a good time. You may be having some good laughs. But you're not, that's not fellowship. You know, we want to take these things and re- reinvent what it actually means. Fellowship is that which is focused and centered upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And so you have time to think about and talk about the things of God. How has the Lord worked in your life this week? What is the Lord doing in your life? What have you learned through the Word? You know, ask questions to one another. What has the Lord taught you? Do you struggle with your prayer life? When do you think the best time to pray? What is the best methodology of prayer? Is it in the morning? Is it in the evening? Do you pray standing up, sitting down, driving your car? What do you do in your prayer life? Talking to one another. Focusing on the things that are in heaven. Earthly things are mundane things, not unimportant things, but they are not of chief importance. But often, that's what the church gets caught up in. The mundane. You know, hey, how, hey brother, how you doing? Great, how you doing? Good. Uh, how's the weather in your area? How much rain did you get last night? The conversation stays right on that earthly level. And Paul commands again... Same thing, this is an imperative mood, present tense, to keep on setting your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Who brings the rain? Your crops need rain. We need water. Uh, Jesus said, your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Seek first the kingdom of heaven. First in rank, first in order, and chiefest is the seeking of the things of God. The kingdom of God. Of heaven. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Why? Because you died. You died to this world. You died to the old manner of living. Before, when we were dead, what did we seek? Oh, we, we sought all the horizontal things. That's all we could seek. And now that we're alive, what do we do? This, this is telltale, beloved. If you're seeking only the horizontal, you're not alive to Christ. If you have been raised up to newness of life, you're seeking vertical. You're seeking the things that are in heaven. You're striving after the things of Christ. Because you died. You died to the things of the world. You died to the love and affection of this world. Do not love the world or the things in the world. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't love particular ice cream or your animals. or It's not referring to that. John goes on, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Do not love these things. For if many man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. All that is in the world, lust of the eyes, the flesh, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away in the lust of it. But the man who does the will of God. Notice the seeking, the man who does the will of God, the things that are above, the man who does the will of God abides forever. That's the vertical seeking of the believer. 
Not simply the horizontal, striving after the horizontal, but desiring to please the Lord. You died. You have love for Christ. You have a desire for the Word. And I'm not going to tell you how much of a desire or how much love. It's an impossibility for human beings to even measure that. And I'm just simply saying, if you have love for Christ, that is a demonstration that you have been raised up. And if you have love for Christ, it will show in your actions. You will sin. You'll fall short. But you will confess. You will repent. You will do what God calls you to do. You will strive to be on the narrow road that leads to life. You will understand that you are to avoid certain things. And you are to then follow after these other things. The putting off and the putting on. And that's a continual thing in this life. And sometimes we get lazy. Sometimes we get slothful. But nevertheless, this is the continual action of the life of the believer. You died. It means you now are alive to the things of Christ. You died to the things of the world. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. You are in Him. He is in you. And Paul says this in Galatians 2. That I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the faith, uh, I live in this life, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If you died, then spiritually you have been made alive and you have a love for the things of Christ. And the more, beloved, that you exercise your mind in the Word of God, praying for the work of the Spirit in your life, to make you more and more like Jesus, to cause you to walk in righteousness and holiness, the more that you exercise yourself in these things, the more growth that happens in your life, the more seeking of the things of God, the more you'll see the futility of the things of the earth which are coming to nothing. So, Paul then says, and when Christ, who is our life, is Christ your life? Is, is, is Christ, let, me, let me give you the illustration. I've used this before. You ought to be familiar with it. But I like to use the particular imagery of a bicycle wheel. You know what a wheel of a bicycle looks like, and you know the spokes, and you know the hub, the axle that's right in the middle, that's holding everything else up. Everything else is connected to that axle. So right in the middle, the hub, we'll call it, that holds everything else together. Is Christ out there on the edge of the wheel as one of those spokes as part of your life, as an aspect of your life. It's just one thing among many. Is that how you view it? Because if that's how you view it, then Christ is not your life. Christ is just a part of your life. The way the Apostle Paul speaks here, that Christ is our life means that He is the hub. He is the one who holds all things together. In Him all things consist. Did you find in Hebrews chapter 1? He's the one who holds our life together and that Him being one who dwells within us, who is our life, directs all the other things in life. How do I know what's important? How do I know what to cut out? How do I know what to do on this day or on that day? Hey, I got some tickets to go to the Vikings game. But it's on Sunday. Ah, no worries. I'll just get some pulpit supply and go. It's only one Sunday. Is it okay with you guys? 
to be okay with you? It's okay when you do it. Why is it not okay if I do it? What am I demonstrating when I do that? It's not about Christ. My life is not about Christ. Christ is not my life. Pleasure is my life. Material goods is my life. Glory is my life. Human glory, that's constantly a contention. We want to glorify ourselves. Well, that's a demonstration that Christ is not our life. Because we're constantly repenting and turning away from these things more and more. When He appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Isn't that glorious? This is the promised Spirit working in and through the Word that brings our minds captive to the things of Christ, who gives us joy in the midst of sorrow. Why? Because Christ has merited for us the indwelling Holy Spirit in all of His work. He has promised to send the Holy Spirit to do this work, bring our minds captive, to give us stability in a turbulent world. Don't we need that? Don't we need self-control in a world that's gone rampant, a world that's gone wild, a world that's chaotic, a world that thinks that, that, that you could just do whatever you want to do, it doesn't matter. Uh, the, the morality of this world is, is, in the, is in the trash can. It's in the pits. And then we wonder why we have problems in this world. The church, is it letting its light shine among men? This is our calling. To, to shine the light. To light up the darkness. Whatever's light makes manifest. It exposes the darkness. And Jesus said, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. You're not becoming that, beloved. You are that. Why? Because you're in Christ. You are holy as the people of God. Why? Because you are in Christ. You're a set-apart people. Why? Because you are in Christ. You are a holy priesthood. You offer sacrifices of thanksgiving to the Lord. Why? Because you are in Christ. You're prophets, priests, and kings unto the Lord. Because you are in Christ. And so, Christ has merited this for us. The Father has received the work of the Son. And the Son and the Father have sent the Holy Spirit to dwell within us that we might be seekers after the things of God. The benefit, at least one of them, of the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. Beloved, are you seeking? Have you been raised? Are you striving to keep your mind stayed upon the things of God? To seek the things that are above? I mean, the Lord honors those desires. Let me close with this. There's a, if you've ever seen the chariots of fire... One, uh, uh, one particular portion of that movie sticks out to me is when Eric Liddell, uh, he, doesn't, he doesn't run on a Sunday uh, because it's the Lord's Day. And I like in, in the movie, as they show him, uh, the race is about to be run the, the, that he would have been running. And they show the clip of the people, the men running, and then they pan over and they show him and he's standing in the pulpit reading Isaiah 40. And it's, it's a great scene, right? And those who, who trust in the Lord, he, he brings them with eagle's wing and mounts them up. And um, it wasn't long after that that there was somebody to run a relay that uh, was not able to run. And so Eric Liddell was asked to run that race. And he got his gold medal. But before they ran, another guy came running over and gave him a piece of paper. 
And they show it briefly as he opened up his hand and looked at it before the race. And it was from 2 Samuel. And it says, those who honor the Lord, the Lord honors. That is what Christ has merited for us in the working of the Holy Spirit. That we would be people that honors the Lord. And the Lord honors that. The Lord honors our seeking of the things of God. The Lord honors that we run after the things that are above. Because truly, beloved, where our treasure is, there our hearts will be also. Our treasure is Christ. Let our hearts be there. Amen. Shall we pray?